And everyone else, church, I invite you to open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20 for the last time. As this morning we have reached the 10th good word from our Father, the 10th commandment. But as you are turning there, I want to put another passage of Scripture up on the the screens from Mark chapter 10 because I want to show you an example of Jesus exposing the heart of someone who had not yet learned to obey and live according to the 10th commandment. And so as you're turning to Exodus 20, hear these words from Mark 10, starting in verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. And Franklin City Church, hopefully now you also know the commandments. Then he goes into a list of them. He says, do not murder, referring to the sixth. Do not commit adultery, referring to the seventh. Do not steal, referring to the eighth. Do not bear false witness, referring to the ninth. Do not defraud, probably referring back to the eighth again. Honor your father and mother, referring to the fifth. Jesus includes all the commandments that show us how to love our neighbor, except the one that we're going to talk about today. Jesus left out one in this list, verse 20, and he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. You see, Jesus sees this man, and he not only sees what's on the outside, but he sees into his heart, and he sees that he lacks one thing. And so he's going to tell him to do something that isn't necessarily a command for everyone who follows Jesus, but Jesus commands this man to do this thing in order to expose this man's heart. And he said, go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This man was invited to follow after Jesus. He was offered treasure in heaven, and he became disheartened and sorrowful for the same reason that some of you are disheartened and sorrowful this morning. You lack one thing. Church, when the reality of our life does not meet the desires or the expectations of our hearts, what happens is a window is formed that we get to look through into our heart. If, if we have certain desires or expectations for our bank accounts or for our relationships or for our possessions or for our physical appearance or for our health or for our social status or for our abilities and achievements, those are not necessarily bad things in and of themselves, but what happens, but what happens when reality falls short of those desires is a window is formed 
that we get to look through into our heart. Our hearts get exposed when the reality of life falls short of our desires and expectations. And so Jesus tells this man to go sell all that he has because just even the thought of that reality and it being falling so short of the man's desires and expectations for his life, that opens up this window to help the man see into his own heart. I mean, Jesus lists all these commandments, not the 10th, but he lists all these other ones. And the man is so self-deceived that he actually says, I've done all that, Jesus. I've kept all those. I'm good, right? Since I was young, since I was a child, I, you know, I, I've kept all these. And it says Jesus loved him and sees that his heart is lacking one thing, but the man can't see it yet. And out of love for the man, he exposes his heart. You see, the 10th good word from our Father, it really cuts to the heart. Yes, when Jesus came to earth, he showed how all these 10 good words cut to the heart. But the command to not covet, I mean, since it was given from Mount Sinai, it was always a matter of the heart. This was the command that the breaking of it could be unseen by others for years and years and sometimes for a person's entire life. But Jesus loved this, this man. And by giving him a command that would cause his reality to not match his desires, he shows him that his heart was lacking something. And so the question, one of the questions I'd like for you to consider this morning is where in your life does the reality of your life not meet your desires, expectations, and goals? Where has the reality of your life fallen short of your hopes and dreams? I want you to think about that for a second. Ask the Lord to show you. Now, here's another question. Could it be that God has allowed your reality to not meet your desires in order to show you that there is something your heart is lacking? You see, it's when our reality does not meet our desires that we have this opportunity to either sinfully covet and desire what others have or desire to be out from under the circumstances God has given us and go back to living like a slave to sin, just coveting and wanting what other people's have, what other people's have, people's have. Or instead, when our reality doesn't meet our desires, we have an opportunity to live as ones who are learning to be content in Christ and satisfied in him. And so this morning, may the Lord expose our hearts. May he come to a people like us who have done all the stuff, we've done all the things, and on the outside, we look pretty good, but our hearts lack one thing. 
there are some hearts in here that are full of covetousness instead of contentment in Christ. And so let's pray and let's ask for the Lord's help as we look at his word. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that it does cut to the heart. And so, Lord, we ask that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, as this truth is proclaimed, that it would cut to our heart, that it would convict us and comfort us where we need to be convicted and comforted. And Father, may we have a clear view and picture of Jesus. May we see how these Ten Commandments, these Ten Good Words from you, O Father, have been pointing us and directing us and leading us to Jesus. And so may we see Jesus and all his glory this morning. And may he free us from hearts that are full of covetousness and idolatry And, oh, Lord Jesus, may you help us learn how to be content in you, how to have hearts that are satisfied in you. Help us, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, what does it mean to covet? What does it mean to covet? That's not a word that we regularly use in our everyday language. To covet means to Most simply put, to covet means to desire something that is not yours. To desire something that is not yours. But it's it's more than just a desire. It's it's like this over-desire. A coveting heart desires something else more than it desires God which really starts to get back to the first commandment. And and Paul, even in the New Testament, calls coveting idolatry. And so you should be seeing that these 10 good words from our Father both start and end with idolatry. It's a desire for something that someone else has. It's an over-desire, desiring it more than you desire God. And coveting it, we, we have to differentiate it from other desires because not all desires are sinful and wrong. But when your heart covets, it desires things that God has not given you. When you covet, your, your heart becomes this restless, noisy heart that is not desiring God above all things, and it is not resting in what he has given you, who he has given you, and where he has you in life. And the sad thing is that coveting does not have to be taught to us. No, because of the presence of sin, we know how to do this from a very young age, don't we? We are happy and content with our Christmas presents until our sibling opens up theirs. And now we're discontent with our presence and we want what our brother or sister has. Now, you've probably never coveted your neighbor's donkey like the people who first received this command might have been tempted to do and are instructed to not do. And if you have, I would love to hear that confession and pray with you about that. I think that would be interesting to hear. But what happens in your heart when you see your neighbor's new car? 
Or, or I mean, you were content with your physical appearance, but then you saw those posts on social media about how great and young your friends are looking these days, and you are no longer satisfied with the physical attributes God gave you. No, you want what they have. You were content with the weekend you were having, but then you heard about the weekend your friends were having, and now you are not satisfied with the weekend that God has given you. You want the weekend they have. Now, as long as you are not desiring something sinful or something that someone else has, it's not necessarily wrong to desire a car. Just not someone else's car. It's not necessarily wrong to desire a house, just not their house. It's not necessarily wrong to desire a fun weekend, just not their weekend. It's not always wrong to desire a marriage like those friends of yours have, as long as you're not desiring their spouse. But church, those desires become sinful and they become covetousness when they become over-desires. When those things you desire become what you look to in order to satisfy you. You see, if we do not learn to be content in Christ, then this is where our desires go they will turn into us coveting and over-desiring and looking to things to satisfy us that were never meant to satisfy us. In Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10, it says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Now, I believe you could replace money with any other person, place, or thing except for God, and that verse would still be true. He who loves whatever it is that you're over-desiring right now, fill in the blank with that, and listen, God's words, the, the truth is that you will not be satisfied with that. You won't be. And so here's the point in the sermon where we need to see our Father's heart in giving us this commandment, in giving us this good word. We've been seeing that with each of these 10 good words from our Father, we've we've been learning something about God. I mean, yes, these commands, they expose stuff that's in our heart, but they show us something about Him and what He's like. And listen, you and I, we have desires for our lives. But did you know that God has even greater desires for you than you have for yourself. Did you know that? I mean, maybe you do desire to do great work to advance the effort to bring the kingdom of God to earth. Maybe you do desire to have a great God-glorifying marriage. Maybe you desire to, to work hard and have a successful business that provides for church and missions and family and all those things. Listen, all those things can be good desires, good ambitions. But did you know that God has greater desires for you than you even have for yourself? You see, our good God, our our loving Heavenly Father, one one of the reasons He tells us not to covet what our neighbor has 
is because he knows what he has for us. Why do we waste our time longing for what our neighbor has all the while God has some amazing things for us? And what he has for us is better than what our neighbor has. What he gave our neighbor will never satisfy us. And so church, see the heart of your father in this command. He desires that we would be satisfied in him. Psalm 107 verse 9 says, For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul. He fills with good things. God's got bigger and better desires for you than you have for yourself. Our souls long to be satisfied, and that is a good desire, but our souls will not be satisfied with what our neighbors have or with all these little desires that we have for our own lives. I mean, think about it. If you've lived long enough, I'm guessing some of your realities have have met your desires. You've reached some of the goals. You've met some of the expectations you had for your life, and you found, to your disappointment and disheartening, that it didn't satisfy you. And that should point your eyes up to your creator and sustainer to see that only God can satisfy you. Only God can satisfy you. C.S. Lewis put it so nicely in Mere Christianity. He said, if I, find, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. A desire turns into an over-desire. A desire turns into coveting. A desire turns into a sinful desire when we desire something other than God to satisfy us. We might have some good desires in life, but God has greater desires for us. He desires to satisfy our longing souls, and sometimes he does this by not allowing the reality of our lives to match the desires of our hearts so that our hearts would be exposed and we would learn to be content and satisfied in him. You see, sometimes he disappoints our desires to bring about the appointed desires that he has for us. Sometimes he disappoints our desires to bring about the appointed desires he has for us. But oh, all too often when the reality of our lives doesn't match our desires, our expectations, and our goals, we do not seek to learn to be content in Christ and be satisfied in him, but instead we grow discontent. We become disappointed. We're not mad with God. We're just disappointed in him. We despair, we become disheartened and sorrowful, and we covet what our neighbors have instead of receiving with joy and gratitude what God has for us. And so when we are not enjoying the freedom 
of learning to be content in Christ, coveting will come in and it will start to enslave us again. You remember these Ten Commandments, they're showing us how to live like a people who are free. Don't go back to living like slavery again. Don't go back to having this coveting heart that is enslaving you to your selfish desires. When a coveting heart runs our lives, it leads us into all sorts of other sins. Really, all the commandments have been building towards this commandment. When we break this commandment, it leads us to breaking all the others. When we desire things more than God and we don't get them, anger and murder get stirred up in our hearts. When we desire things that God has not given to us, lust and adultery start to take over our hearts. A dissatisfied soul whose life is being run by a heart that is coveting will slander and bear false witness about their neighbor. When we desire things that God has not allowed us to have, we start to hate and resent our neighbor instead of love our neighbor. But just like the man in Mark chapter 10, we can have hearts full of covetousness and yet still look pretty good and still look like we've got life together and still look like we're doing all the right things. Oh yeah, Jesus, I've heard that. I've done that. What else do I need to do to inherit eternal life? I've done all the stuff I'm supposed to do. And Jesus has come to you this morning because he loves you and he has caused some reality in your life to not meet your desires and expectations and goals. And he has done that to expose your heart to you, to show you that your heart still lacks one thing. When reality does not meet your desires, have you learned how to be content in Christ and satisfied in him? Or instead, do you grumble against God? Do you rage in your heart and accuse God of bringing you out into the wilderness to starve you? I mean, why don't we go back to Egypt? Why don't we go back to slavery to sin? At least we're familiar with that. At least there was bread there. Jeremiah Burroughs was a a preacher in England in the 1600s, and he lived during the English Civil War, where there was obviously a lot of civil unrest. Uh, Think of uh, an election year here in America times 20. And Burroughs, in this tumultuous time, felt that he should preach a sermon series not on just war theory, not on what our relationship to the governing authorities should be, but Jeremiah Burroughs believed that what his people needed the most in that time was a sermon series on Christian contentment. And so he preached a sermon series on contentment, which has now been put together in a classic book called The Rare Jewel of Christian contentment, which I would commend to you, and I'm going to share a few quotes from it today. In regard to this sinful propensity we have to grumble about God when our realities don't meet our desires, he writes, what is this murmuring, discontented heart of yours doing, but wrangling and contending and striving even with God himself?
Church, this is what you're doing when you covet what your neighbor has and are discontent with what God has given you. When you are grumbling, you are contending with God. I need to warn you of that this morning. You are contending with God. But the answer to the slavery of covetousness is the freedom in Christ we can have to learn to be content in Christ. And so Burroughs goes into what is this contentment, and he defines contentment this way. He says, contentment is the inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, freely submitting to and taking pleasure in God's disposal in every condition. And we can leave that up, Andrea. You need to, those of you that are taking notes, you need to write that down. You need to know what this contentment looks like. Contentment is this inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit freely submitting to and taking pleasure in God's disposal in every condition. But you see, in our sin, instead of learning contentment in Christ, no, because of sin, when our realities don't meet our desires, we try to solve that problem in a couple of different ways. One way is to simply, you know, we see this gap between our reality and our desires. One way is to simply just lower our desires and expectations. You can, this, is, this is the person that kind of just goes the complacent route in life, right? And says, well, my soul is not satisfied, but maybe that was too lofty of a goal. Let's just settle for something less. Let's just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Maybe we just expected too much out of life. Let's just lower the bar here a little bit. And so maybe that's you. These, these, these are people that typically in the church, they just start to, they, they kind of check out. They just go complacent. They, they, they say, you know, that maybe that what I was striving after just isn't really attainable. I, I, I'm just going just gonna to lower. I'm just going to, you know, just be complacent here. The other way that we try to solve this problem is that we think it is okay to delay our contentment in Christ until the day when our reality does actually meet our desires and expectations. So, so we think that we can live as obedient followers of Christ and just delay our contentment in Christ. That, that is a lie, and that is not true, but this is what it looks like. This looks like you saying, well, I'll stop coveting and be content in Christ when my spouse gets their act together. And then, then things will match up, then I'll be content. Or how about this? I'll stop coveting and be content in Christ uh, when you, Lord, give me a higher income, right? And, and when, I, when, I, when I meet all my financial goals, then I can be content in Christ. I'll stop coveting and be content when my physical health gets figured out. Right now, it's sort of stressful. We're trying to figure some things out. We don't know what's going on. Once that all gets figured out, then I will be content in you, Lord Jesus. And we think that we can follow Christ and follow in his steps and postpone our contentment in him. But church, when Christ calls us to follow him, he calls us to come and to rest and to be satisfied in him. God does not want us to lower our desires and expectations for life. And he does not want us to postpone our contentment. He wants us to have a greater desire for Christ 
and for us to find our satisfaction in him today. Your longing soul is longing for Christ to satisfy it today. So do not wait another day. Do not postpone this down the road. Come to Christ. Receive Christ. Trust in Christ. He can satisfy your longing soul today, and he will be faithful to do it tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And you see, so it is, it is the gap. It is living in this gap when our reality and our desires don't match up. And it's living, it is in that gap that Jesus calls to us and he wants to meet us in that gap. In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You see, Christ has done all that is needed for us to come and rest and be satisfied in him. Christ, through his life, death, and resurrection, did it all, church. He lived the perfect life of obedience that we have obviously failed to live. Every single commandment we've broken almost every day of our lives. But Christ came. He was the obedient one. He was the good one. He was the righteous one, and he went to the cross to die for all of our sin so that the great exchange could happen, that he could take our sin and he could give us his righteousness. And so now through faith in him, we stand right before God because we are clothed in the rightness and the goodness of Jesus. And so we can rest in that. We can be satisfied in him with that. Look to the cross. The fact that our sins require Jesus to die on the cross, that should free us from our coveting and discontented hearts. And it should free us from all this murmuring and grumbling when our realities don't meet our desires. Oh, you see, we are so discontent. We, we, we become discontent when we look at our problems. We're tempted to covet when we look at our problems. But then, church, we look at the cross and our eyes are open to see that we were the problem. Looking at your problems, you're going to be discontent. Looking at your problems, you're going to want to covet. But looking at the cross, you are reminded that you were the problem. And because God loves you, he's given you all these little problems to reveal to you the main problem. And that was the problem of your heart. That was the problem of your right standing before him. And so when our eyes are set on all these lesser problems and we see the gap between our reality and our desires, we wonder, man, why is that gap so great? It doesn't seem like everyone else is having to deal with these great, you know, gaps. But then you look at the cross and you're reminded of what your sins deserve. And you're reminded of just how great the grace of God is that has been shown to you. And you wonder, how in the world has God shown me this much grace? <laughs> Burroughs goes on to, to write. He said, 
A godly man wonders at his cross that it is not more. A wicked man wonders his cross is so much. And church, I wonder which of those perspectives describes your life right now. A.W. Tozer said, The man who has God for his treasure has all things in one. A Puritan sat down to his meal and found that he had only a little bread and some water. And his response was to exclaim in a very genuine, non-sarcastic tone, may I say, His response was to exclaim, what? All this and Jesus Christ too. Oh, that's the heart that I want to have. A heart that has learned to be content in Christ, that can look at whatever God has put in front of me and exclaim with joy and gratitude, what? All this and Jesus too? Church, are you... Are you content in Christ? Remember what Jeremiah Burroughs says about contentment. Contentment is the inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, freely submitting to and taking pleasure in God's disposal in every condition. It's it's like the Christian superpower that is able to rest in God regardless of the circumstances. It's not wrong, church, to have some desires and expectations and goals and life things that you are pursuing. But it is as we are actively pursuing these things, we are also able to rest in and be content in Christ. After a day of working with the Lord and for the Lord, we should be able to sit down and rest in what we have and who we have and where he has us. We should be able to sit down at the end of a day of working with the Lord and for the Lord and say, regardless of our circumstances, what? All this and Jesus too? That's unbelievable. It's the grace of God. And you see, what I've been wrestling with this week is, is how, do we, how do we have good and godly ambition and yet also learn to be content in Christ? Because for me, it's, it's, it's either I'm, I'm super trying to be driven and focused on a certain goal or it's I just go the complacent route and say, well, I'm just going to, you know, I almost swap complacency with contentment. Like, let's just, let's just be good with where God has us. So what does this look like to have godly ambition, to have godly pursuits, and yet also learn to be content in Christ? For this is the rare jewel that we find, Christian contentment. And it is actually this rare jewel of Christian contentment that ensures, as we are ambitious for the glory of God, that we pursue that in a God-honoring, God-glorifying, God-enjoying type of way. I mean, think about the context of this command for a second. God tells his people not to covet their neighbor's house, but they're out in the wilderness, and they don't have houses yet. They just came out of slavery. They don't have much stuff yet. And you see, this command is given to them, and then later on, they're reminded of this command in the book of Deuteronomy as they're about to conquer the land that God promised to give them. 
But in order for them to go and conquer the land and subdue it in a God-honoring way, if they want to take dominion of God's land as his representatives, then they can't have hearts that are enslaved to coveting, but instead hearts that hunger and thirst for God and are satisfied in him. And church, in the same way that the Israelites needed this good word before that conquering the promised land, so too does the church need this good word as we go and disciple the nations. In order to pursue godly, ambitious goals for God's glory, we must be content in Christ or else it's going to get off track really quick. It's going to turn really selfish and really sinful really quick. Again, Burroughs writes, when one is in a discontented condition, then a man or woman is exceedingly unfit for the service of God. If you want to be fit for the service of God, if you've got some ambitions for the glory of God, learn to be content in Christ. Contentment in Christ is what is needed to go and love our neighbor and serve God and disciple the nations. One of the qualifications we should have for men and women who are going to lead ministries and serve us is that they must be content in Christ or else their zeal for God, their ambitions for God are going to turn selfish and sinful very quickly if they are also not content in Christ and being satisfied in him. And the Apostle Paul was a pretty ambitious guy for Christ. I can say he learned contentment, but it wasn't in this like sit back, complacent, lower standards type of way. No, he was all about getting after the mission of God in the world. But look at what he learned. He, he writes what I'm about to read from prison. Philippians 4 verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, Let me remind you, he's writing this from prison. Verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul says that even in prison, he's not in need because he can say, all this and Jesus too? Christian, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And that doesn't mean that you can throw more touchdowns, passes than than non-Christians. No, it means something even more miraculous than that. It means that you can be content in Christ in whatever situation he has you in. Regardless of how short your reality has fallen from your desires, you can be content in him because you have Christ and because he is with you and because he does all things well. And because he works all things together for the good of those who love him. You can be content in any situation because God's presence and God's power are with you. 
And it is Christ alone who can satisfy your longing soul. And so, church, if we are going to carry out the mission of God in this world, if we're going to carry out the mission, the plans, and the purposes he has for us here in Franklin, we must learn to, yes, be ambitious for God, but we must also learn to be content in Christ and to be satisfied in him. And to be able to pray and seek and work towards his glory and his purposes being carried out here. But to also be able to sit down and rest in what we have and who we have and where he has us. For you see, church, it is covetousness in the church that greatly hinders the church from carrying out the mission of God. Contentment, contentment. Remember, it's this inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, freely submitting to and taking pleasure in God's disposal in every condition. But, but when we don't have that, and instead when we have restless, noisy hearts, harsh frames of spirit that contend with God and are disappointed and disheartened with his will and how our realities aren't meeting our desires. When that is the case, we cause so much havoc in the church and in our families that we distract ourselves from discipling the nations. And so church, what I believe is going to set our church on fire and free to be an even more greater and more fruitful blessing to this city and the world, it is this. It will be as we learn more and more to be content in Christ and satisfied in him. And so I say this in love, but I believe that we have many infants in Christ here who look on the outside like the man who had done all the things and kept all the commandments, but he lacked one thing. He lacked contentment in Christ. And my prayer for us is that we would see this thing that is lacking in our hearts this morning and that Christ would come and satisfy us. And that we would be able to say, like David said in Psalm 131, that we would be able to say, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Do you understand that imagery? Those of you with babies, get this. When a child is first born and they feel hungry, what do they do? They cry and they scream because they're hungry and they're not sure if someone is going to feed them and satisfy those hunger pains. But then what happens as we get older? Or what should happen as we get older? We still feel hungry, but we've learned to trust that our parents are going to feed us. They're going to satisfy us. We don't need to cry and scream and freak out every time we're hungry. Our parents are present with us. And our parents are powerful enough to take care of us and to satisfy us. You see, maturing in contentment is learning how to be hungry and not freak out. 
You can still be hungry for more of God, but you need not cry and complain about where he has you. Someone who is Someone who is growing in their contentment in Christ can experience the hunger pains when their reality of marriage doesn't meet their desire for marriage, but they still have a calmed and quieted soul that is being satisfied by Christ, trusting in his presence and his power and his providence. Someone who is growing in their contentment in Christ can experience the hunger pains when their reality of their job doesn't meet the desire they have for their job, but they still have a calmed and quieted soul that is being satisfied by Christ, trusting in God's presence and God's power and God's providence. Someone who is growing in their contentment in Christ can experience the hunger pains when the reality of their health doesn't meet the desire they have for their health, but they still have a calmed and quieted soul that is being satisfied by Christ, trusting in God's presence and God's power and God's providence. Are you living like a weaned child of God or are you still a babe in Christ? unsure if your hunger pains will in fact be satisfied. Where has the reality of your life fallen short of your desires and dreams? Are you responding with a heart full of covetousness or contentment? Could it be that God has allowed your reality to not meet your desires? in order to show you that there was something wrong with your heart, (laughs) that you lack one thing? Could it be that he disappointed some of your desires to bring about his greater desires for you? And so, church, may we learn to grow in our contentment in Christ. And as we do, may we be ones who are more and more fit to serve in Christ's kingdom. May we, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, may we pray for and strive for his kingdom to come in Franklin and his will to be done in Franklin as it is in heaven. But then may we also be able to come and rest in what we have and who we have and where he has us. May we be able to sit and look at what we have and say, all this and Jesus May we learn to be content in Christ and may our longing souls be satisfied in him. Let's pray.